the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into hour two. This one is special, and this one is going to be very meaningful. If you are inclined to take notes, you'll want to for this one. You know, after a a persecutory act, um, an attack, a terrible moment or incident, a lot of wonderful writing sometimes develops, often develops, that says things you agree with and gets pieces of it just right. We've tried to highlight a lot of that here over the last several weeks. Rarely does a piece get written that explains the whole thing. This guest and this piece does. He is an old friend. He is uh, an old boss. He is Brian T. Kennedy, among other things, the president of the American Strategy Group. He is the chairman of the Committee on the Present Danger China author of Communist China's War Inside America. His piece over at the American Mind, published by the Claremont Institute, of course, out just uh, this week, Warfare by Immigration. Brian, welcome back to the Airwaves of Phoenix. Thanks for being with us. Well, thank you, Seth. Uh, Always great to be with you. I am a great admirer of yours, as you well know it. And uh, these are very important times. There are important times that we either get right uh, to the survival of our country, our allies, and the West, or we get wrong to the peril of them. Few get that as well as you. Um, There's so much in your piece, again, at the American Mind, Warfare by Immigration. But let me read you some of your words and start from here. It's actually toward the end because you have a haunting sentence I'd like you to distill. During the Cold War, you write, many well-intentioned people did not want to believe that the Soviet Union would sponsor terrorism. Likewise, they will not today want to believe that the Chinese Communist Party had an attack and had a hand in the attack on Israel by Hamas or have actively placed military personnel in the United States to believe such things is to establish a blood unity between the great communist states and the world of Islamic terrorism, an allegiance born not of kinship, but of murder, and the cold ideological commitment that both have toward the destruction of the free world. This bloody, this blood unity is not to be underestimated. Blood unity. It's an important and pregnant phrase, Brian. Feel free to distill what you are saying any way you would like. Yeah, thank you, Seth. Uh, the communists back in the uh, 70s, probably some of your listeners will remember, the, the communist world was very aligned to the Palestinian Liberation Organization and all that it was doing. And you had people around the world who thought of themselves as communists or radicals or Marxists or revolutionaries. And they believed very much that terrorism was a uh, a necessary thing for the revolution and that killing and murder and literally terrifying people was the only way they were going to win. And that communist world and the terrorist world, I mean, not only did you have 
the PLO, that you had the PLO being helped by people in Latin America and in Italy and in Germany with Spider Meinhofer, the Red Brigades in Italy. They, they helped each other murder innocent people within the West. And that, I believe, developed a, what I call a blood unity mm-hmm. between the communist world, which still very much exists, and the Islamic terrorist world, or those who have joined the, the terrorist world. And that phrase, blood unity, actually comes from um, something, uh, an Israeli writer, and uh, he edited a book with, among other people, Michael Ledeen, mm-hmm. who you know well. Mm-hmm. And they were they were interviewing terrorists. Uh, it was, I think it was called "The Hydra of Carnage" was the book uh-huh. back in the back in the eighties. But they were interviewing all these terrorists. Hydra of Carnage, folks. Hydra of Con- yeah. Carnage. Uri, and, and, Uri Renan, and, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And, that book was uh, informative because it showed how the terrorist world thinks mm-hmm. and how their communist sponsors think. Mm-hmm. But they thought of that they were engaged in a broad war against the West. Mm-hmm. And the killing was the interesting part. In that phrase, blood unity, that's how they saw themselves. And I feared that's how the communists and the Islamic world we see today, that's how they've been united that they think of themselves as only succeeding when they can kill enough people to either conquer us, demoralize us, defeat us, whatever it takes for them to win. And we in the West don't get that. Israel lives it every day, right? They have to. They have to understand that. But we saw in Gaza they didn't get that right. And what caused them not to get that right? And I fear that their lack of understanding of that, what I consider blood unity, that desire to kill and destroy, Israel momentarily has lost lost that appreciation. They're getting it back in the, in the you know days and weeks from from that attack, but we don't get it here in America. We'll, we'll see if they get it back. You know, I, I'm a little concerned about that, and we'll come to that in a moment. Um, but thank you for doing the thing that hasn't been done in a long time, which is pointing out the Marxist elements and the Marxist ideology behind all this. Quite right that these terrorist movements uh, were born of the Lenin and then later Khrushchev doctrine of the 1960s. Anything that fought perceived imperialism, anything that fought perceived racism, anything that fought perceived colonialism, united the Marxist world together, which is why as you point out well, Brian, you have a Palestine liberation organization or a Palestinian liberation organization where you can distort the word. It's not called the Palestine Terrorism Organization. They believe that this is liberation, liberation under the old Marxist-Leninist doctrine of their right to go to into a just war uh, over any perceived oppressor that they can label as such. This is a long and bloody history that the West never quite grasped, I don't think, a few did. Uh, there were many in the Reagan administration that got this. Gene Kirkpatrick got it. You get it. Frank Gaffney gets it. You guys over at uh, Committee on the Present Danger, China, get it, uh, which is why China has replaced, obviously, the Soviet Union's sponsorship of all this, when I, which I want to get to as well. But this is also why, in a weird kind of almost question a juvenile might ask, 
in hearing you and I speak, Brian, they might say, well, how in the heck would a doctrine that doesn't believe in religion, that believes religion is the opiate of the masses, why would they align with Islamic fundamentalists and Islamic radicals? Do you want to say a word about that? Yes, uh, yeah, that's a very interesting way of of, uh, putting it. Um, They're all tools. Yeah. These these things are all just tools in their kit box, and they will use whoever. They they would use Christians uh, misguided, perhaps. I mean, Mm -hmm. they would use anything, Mm -hmm. left, right, center, of any faith, if it could bring down uh, the West. Mm -hmm. But the, 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 and I, I mentioned this in this piece, you know, apparently they were poor as church mice back in the 1970s. Right. The communist Chinese. Right. But even back then, they were helping the Palestinian Liberation Organization. Even back then. Why? Because they were going to do whatever it took to be part of the communist world and to bring down America and the West. Now, they, 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 they were willing to use Muslims to go do that. And then they realized, I think, not to jump ahead, but they, they realize there are a whole bunch of tools that they can use. Yeah. Turns out these Americans are very malleable. Mm-hmm. America is the leader of the West. They're very malleable. So they'd be willing to, to believe anything, including that it would be okay to do business with them. Yeah. And that good relations were possible and that, you know, it would be a two-way street where everybody benefited. These Americans, they're willing to believe almost anything. It's so interesting you brought up the name Michael Ledeen, um, because I was, uh, two reasons. One, there was an old firing line debate on the PLO that uh, my producer, young David here, was pointing out to me where Michael Ledeen was on the panel going back to the early 80s. But more importantly, I remember some years ago, uh, a mutual friend of ours was talking to Michael Ledeen about whether we should negotiate with Iran or not, and he says the thing you have to understand is the doctrine of Goldfinger. The Iranians don't want to talk. They want you dead. And I wonder if we might talk a little bit about that when we come back, this notion of negotiation. And also this notion that, yeah, it seems to be relatively agreed on by a relatively strong number of people that Iran is behind this. But there's something in back of Iran, as you continue to point out, which is China. Can we get into all that on the other side of this break, Brian? Yes, Sounds great. Wonderful. Brian T. Kennedy is my guest, chairman and committee on the present danger. China, among other things, American Strategy Group, his piece, critical reading, AmericanMind.org is where to get it. Warfare by immigration. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brian T. Kennedy is my guest, among other things. He is a fellow along with myself, senior fellow along with myself at the Claremont Institute, and uh, the head of uh, the Committee on Present Danger, China, his piece um, just out this week, Warfare by Immigration at the American Mind, critical reading. Um, Brian, where to, where to start with this? There is a fair amount, fair number of people, as I was saying, that are that are looking at Hamas, looking at Hezbollah and saying, yes, of course, Iran is behind them. There's something in back of Iran that is behind Iran, uh, another country that isn't exactly soaking in money unless and until we help deliver it to them. And people seem to think we can pacify them. There's an old line. I really don't like it. Um, people like to talk about 
during the first term of the Reagan administration, there was no negotiation with the Soviet Union. Everyone says they like to quote that joke of Ronald Reagan's, well, they keep dying on me. That really wasn't it. It's a fu- it, you know, that that joke works fine. But that really wasn't the reason he didn't talk to them. Talk to us about negotiations with enemies like this, misunderstanding their ideology, thinking they think like us and then getting to China's China, China's participation in all this. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I think I think that's a, a a very good way of thinking about it. It's very hard to. How do you negotiate with people who don't even believe in your existence? Right. Is Israel faces this, uh, and I think I'm arguing in that piece. America faces yep. this too. Yep. Ultimately, the the Islamic world believes in the destruction or submission of the West. One of the two. Mm-hmm. And. The whole idea of negotiating with people like that, it would be one thing if you could do that and you were strong and capable of doing all sorts of things whenever you want to. Uh, very difficult, right? Reagan, as strong as we were militarily back then, wasn't completely free to do whatever he wanted to. To be sure. The Soviet Union was also very capable. Right. Today, we're in a position where the United States is not that capable. Right. And we're presented with an Iran or a North Korea or any one of a number of states that have nuclear ballistic missiles. We don't want to act like Iran has them, but certainly they do. And they're certainly there developing them with the help of communist China and Russia. And we don't have a way of stopping those nuclear ballistic missiles because we never built a missile defense because we somehow believe in the idea that history had ended. Mm-hmm. The whole idea of the end of history by Francis Fukuyama, that somehow we weren't going to have these these conflicts anymore, that everything was just going to go along swimmingly. And, and uh, you know, we're all just going to have new iPhones and computers and watch Netflix 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. And that there wouldn't be this kind of conflict. Mm-hmm. But, of course, there is this kind of conflict. It is man's way to have conflict. And you have a state like communist China supporting Iran supporting Hamas and Hezbollah, and I believe just geostrategically they're supporting them because if you can tie down Israel, if you can tie down the United States, if you can tie down Europe, you know, another war in the Middle East, and you have Europe preoccupied with war in Ukraine, just geostrategically it gives them a much different hand in the Pacific. Mm-hmm just much different. Mm -hmm. So even if the Chinese did not mean our destruction, just strategically, if they want to control the Pacific, Taiwan, Japan, the Philippines, anywhere else, this would be the kind of thing if you were communist China, you'd do. Mm -hmm. Add to that, that I think there are a fair number of people in communist China who may just think that now is the time to take down the United States. Mm -hmm. You have an American president who seems... Uh, let's just say, inadequate for the job. Mm-hmm. I've called him an empty vessel. Yeah, yeah and I, I think I suggest that in the piece that I don't even know, I think he understands exactly philosophically or yeah. intellectually Correct. What, what, the, what the hell's going on. But one of my concerns, hence the title of the piece, was that, among other things, the Biden administration has let in probably five to eight million people over the last two and a half years yep. into this country. Yep. 
That is a lot of people. For what reason did he bring all those people in? For what reason were they pushed into the country Mm -hmm. from a variety of pressures around the world? Mm -hmm. He signaled he was going to open the border. He did. People from around the world came. Who is coming to the United States, and why are we letting them in? Within that five to eight million, there's pretty hard intelligence that about 100,000 Chinese communist military-age males have come in. Let me pause on that. I want people to hear that number. 100,000 military-age Chinese men have entered the country. This isn't Brian Kennedy saying that. This is the Pew Research Center saying that. Go ahead, Brian. When that kind of thing happens, you have to pause and say, wait a minute, are they just coming here for a job? I thought things were were you know, going swimmingly in communist China. We have legal ways of letting Chinese people immigrate here. Why would communist China have 100,000 of their people, men, under this country, and in reports from the border, people talk about these men are coming well-equipped with very similar kit, similar backpacks, similar shoes, similar clothes, similar the kind of thing that a military or intelligence unit would come with. And so you have 100,000, that's 10 divisions of people coming to the United States. For what reason do they come? Now, that kind of a suggestion by me will sound, in many ways, kind of alarmist, right? People, and most of a lot of Americans will think, well, people, you know, Biden opens the door, people want to come in, get John, become Americans. Maybe. Let's hope that's the case. Let's hope that's their motivation. Or if communist China, which has declared a people's war against the United States in 2019, really does want to take down the country. And if you're an American policymaker, you always have to be playing worst-case scenario, not best-case scenario. The worst-case scenario is that we are at war with communist China and now the Islamic world, which has for the past you know, 50 years sought our destruction and sometimes more aggressively than others. If you want to combine 8 million new people, 100,000 communist Chinese, Probably within that 8 million, maybe a million Muslims coming from Iraq, Afghanistan, Iran, you know, Syria, Lebanon, other places around the world, combined with an American population of Muslims that may be 4 to 6 million, you start adding these numbers up and you see that you could have the potential, I'm not saying absolute, potential for a guerrilla army within this country. I want people, yeah, I need to take a break. And I just want people to remember what you said. A hundred, what Pew Research says, a hundred thousand Chinese military aged men combined with over 6,000 Afghanistanis in the last two years, over 3,000 from Egypt, over 650 from Iran, over 538 from Syria. Just think of those numbers for a half a moment. And then ask yourself what 19 can do for $500,000. Brian Kennedy and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Brian T. Kennedy, my guest, president of the American Strategy Group, among other things. His piece, Warfare by Immigration in the American Mind, AmericanMind.org, publication of the Claremont Institute, where he and I are both senior fellows. 
Brian, um, I want to. I want to. Let me ask you this. I want to go back to Marxism and communism and the threat from the Chinese Communist Party and its adjuncts and its uh, satellites. There's two things going on in this country at the same time. Two lines almost have crossed, if you will. It seems to me the communist threat, not around the world, but perhaps around the world, but in this country, the communist threat in this country is stronger in volume and ideological support than at any time in our history. You correct me if I get anything wrong by your lights. I'm just telling you what it seems like to me. Stronger than at any time in the 1950s when we went through the McCarthy era. Stronger than the decade before that with HUAC. Stronger than at any time ever. While at the same time, the denial of its toxicity seems to be at its apex. There has never been more sympathy or um, insouciance, uh, uh, cavalierness toward it. These two lines seem to have crossed at a very dangerous moment, making you and I sound crazy to a lot of people who might be tuning in for the first time. I don't know how to get past that, but neither do I know how to explain the situation we find ourselves in, particularly on our college campuses. Take this any way you want. Yeah, that's that's probably the most interesting thing uh, to examine. How did we engage here in a kind of national suicide or a national rejection of everything that, you know, we hold dear? Mm -hmm. We know this, that the reason for America's success was our belief in the principles of human freedom. Bingo that are defended by both biblical revelation and human reason. Mm -hmm. That has created the kind of human flourishing in the West that has made enormous wealth, freedom, opportunity for millions and millions and millions of people. We contrast that with the communist world, which is an absolute rejection of that, Mm -hmm. that has brought more misery and despair to millions of people than anything else in human history. Mm-hmm. So you have those two competing visions. Mm-hmm. How is it that the country that enjoyed freedom and wealth and prosperity has created a university system that itself embraced almost fully the underlying philosophy of communism, right. imbued it into a faculty of people who have taught you know, how many generations now of Americans that they live in fundamentally a bad country filled with bad racist people. Right. And that those people should be, if not eradicated, marginalized to the greatest extent possible. Right. That that is the great uh, question you're you're posing, I think. How is it possible that the free wealthy society rejected everything that was great about them? In, in the way they inculcate into future generations the very things you need to sustain a free society. How is that possible? Mm-hmm. And, and I think the only way you can get there is by a kind of psychological just insanity. Mm-hmm. I mean, to understand it psychologically as just kind of an insane, almost demonic rejection of everything you know to be true and good. And I think the communist... The Communist Party 
the communist intelligence services of the Soviet Union, now communist China. They have been very effective propagators of those people within our society who, you know, elite opinion. Mm-hmm. And I think I think once you can enter the university at the level they did and get enough people within the university to subscribe to this point of view, it's only a matter of time before you'll have a society like the United States where its elites really do believe in a kind of national suicide. And I think I would say parenthetically that that the entire world we're living in over the last four or five years has been a war over these ideas. Trump what? representing older tradition and the, and the, the, the pushback by the globalist left. That the, the great setup, short segment was here. Let me give us a longer one to explore that very point when we come right back. Brian T. Kennedy, my guest. We'll be right back. Brian T. Kennedy is my guest. We're discussing his exceedingly important essay, Warfare by Immigration at the American Mind, AmericanMind.org. Brian, we're, we're, we're talking about a lot here, including just now before the break, this notion of elites in America, elite institutions, and it doesn't even have to be elites. It's most of our institutions, I would argue, most, um, elite or not, have adopted or accepted. Perhaps they've adopted and accepted Marxist doctrine without quite knowing it. You know, in, in, in his book, Witness, Whitaker Chambers talks about how good people could become communists and why it was so many decent Americans in the Democratic Party would not confront them. And he says something interesting. I'll get it just a little off, but something along the lines of they realized the more they investigated, the closer it seemed to what they believed. And they just kind of went along with it because the recognition of it was too horrific to admit to. Uh, We can admit that Joe Biden doesn't think in any of these terms. I have a harder time admitting that those under him don't or the faculties across America don't. Perhaps C-suite executives don't think in these terms, but it's very much there. I think you put your finger on it. I'm saying a lot here. I think you put your finger on it when you said at the university level, the buzzword, the code word here was racism, which is, of course, one of the trilogies of Khrushchev, imperialism, colonialism, racism. They got the racism thing now. We're hearing about colonialism for the first time in decades. Um, it's, 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 it's just part of this, this Marxist-Leninist trifecta to, to take on the West. You write a lot about the survival of the West in your piece. Talk to me about anything I just said or the real stakes here that we're dealing with unless we get this right. And do we have what it takes to get it right? I don't know where to turn to. Politics is the answer, of course. But, boy, it should be a situation, to me it seems, where the conservative movement of the Republican Party should be getting about 80 percent of the support in this country if they take things as seriously as you and I are describing them. And we're at about a 50-50 proposition. Anyway, anywhere you want to go with any of that. Yeah, I I, uh, I agree with everything you said. I mean, look at me. Part of the problem with like a Biden, for instance, is that he is more of just an apparatchik, or he's being used by whatever political, you know, advisors he has, who are very similar to those of Barack Obama, to carry out policies that, on on their face, just seem utterly insane. 
which is let's support communist China, let's support Iran, let's support the Palestinian Authority. All three of those were antithetical to the interests of the United States. Trump administration, they tried to hold China in check. They did, they did a good enough job, obviously not. Uh, when it came to Iran, what was the, you know, Trump was trying to put Iran in a box. I think they've done a pretty good job of that. Personally, the Biden administration does bring in senior people into the NSC and State Department who, who fully embrace the Iranian government, Iranian policy that support them economically. And then the Biden administration gives gives $200 million to Hamas that uh, the Trump administration had cut off. They, they walk in the door just thinking the exact opposite. They didn't do it because Trump had done the opposite. They did it because they actually believe mm. in these things. Mm. And so they ideologically subscribe to this globalist view that is shared. I think they believe, the sophisticated people believe that the future is China. They will think the future is China. The future is a globalist world order where you, the United States is but one of many countries. And we are not going to do anything to put us out in front of all that is how they think vis-a-vis China and the Islamic world. Now, when it comes to Russia, they're, they're more than willing to, you know, engage in war incorporated and you know, have another war in the Ukraine. They're all into that. But, but this other piece, it's, it's kind of a confusing mess. That's on the one hand. And so you have these policies that don't make any sense, and the average American can't wrap their mind around, why would we give money to, to terrorist groups like Hamas? Why would we help around? Why aren't we stopping communist China from doing all these bad things? Most Americans will think. You realize that there's not a whole lot of connection. There's not a very good connection between how we operate at that level of international relations and how the American people can understand it. The American people are living their own lives. They're mm-hmm. yeah. trying to raise their family. They're going to church. Asking them to become experts on Hamas is unreasonable. Right. They expect that there's going to be people in the Congress that are going to check the worst abuses. Right. Of, the, of any administration, right? right? That doesn't happen. It doesn't happen very well. We're in a state of confusion, would be one way I think about it anyway. Mm-hmm. We, have, we have deep confusion between the role of America in the world, on the one hand, and how we talk about politics internally on the other. Mm-hmm. I mean, just that, just that piece about illegal immigration. Yeah. How did, I mean, you'd have to say, did someone sit around in Washington and say, look, you know, gosh, we're just short of people, right? We realize we have all these people who don't have manufacturing jobs anymore because they all went to China. We realize we're paying all this money for people to stay home and not work. but, But we need more people in this country. And someone in Washington, in the Biden administration, said, yeah, we need more people because you know, all, the, all these current Americans, they're, you know, a lot of them voted for Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. So they must be kind of retrograde or mm-hmm. react, reactionary. So mm-hmm. we better bring more people into this country. Mm-hmm. And someone probably said, might have said, well, wouldn't that be dangerous? Mm-hmm. But yeah, it'd be worth it, though. Mm-hmm. It'd be worth it. Be worth because it. we just can't have these Americans believing 
that, you know, it's their country. Mm. It's our country. It's part and parcel of the low view of this country by the elites, isn't it? That there's nothing right. quite and, so special here about America or Americans. Right. And the kind of education they've received in right. university and the kind of Marxist, elitist, I, I dare I say, totalitarian way in which they they understand everything. And so whatever increases their power and decreases the power of the American people to have a say in how they're governed, mm-hmm. it really I mean, we really are only barely a republic mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. Instead, we've become something else. And the people who are running this country today within the Biden administration, they don't think of this as a republic. Mm-hmm. They think of it as something else, and they're the masters of it. And they're going to do and say whatever it takes for them to perpetuate that understanding. You see Eric Swalwell. Yeah. When Eric Swalwell said, we just have to get past that next election. Yeah. I.e., an election where you're going to have an American president appeal to the populist, uh, you know, pro-American side of the electorate. We just need to get past that. We yep. need to, to utterly defeat that. Right. We utterly defeat that. We're home free, as in we, the Democratic left, will control power indefinitely in this country. Brian T. Kennedy. It's, it's yeah. a very dangerous thing. It's, it's a very dangerous thing. Sobering, always you are, and smart. Um, thank you for your generosity of friendship and time with us today. Again, his piece, folks, uh, Warfare by Immigration. It's not just about immigration, but it's in part and large part about immigration. It's not just about ideology, but it's in part and large part about ideology. And it's about things bigger than both over at the American Mind. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Seth. Great to be with you. As always. I'll be right back. Well, you can't say the music isn't good. You've been playing some great music, young David, young grasshopper. Thank you for that. Portions of this show brought to you by the good people at Y Refi. Good people because not just that they have a great investment. They're good actors in town. They uh, do a lot of great work. And they're based here. They're headquartered here. You can visit them. They're on Scottsdale Road in the one on in the 101. They have an investment for you. It's in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return. And that investment is not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. It comes with a lot of flexibility. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal, no penalty if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in Y-Refi's secure and collateralized portfolio. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm, as I say, up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return. If you don't stop by their offices to visit with them, you can check them out online at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or call them at 888-YREFI-24, 888-YREFI-24. I uh, find so eloquent the work of um, Whitaker Chambers that I hated to, uh, on the fly, get anything wrong in what he wrote by misquoting him, so I found the passage in his book Witness, he writes, It was not treason. Men who sincerely abhorred the word communism in the pursuit of common ends found that they were unable to distinguish communists from themselves. He's talking about Democrats. For men who could not see that what they firmly believed was liberalism added up to socialism could scarcely be expected to see what added up to communism. Any charge of communism enraged them precisely because they could not grasp the difference between themselves and those against whom 
it was made. If you wonder about these paradoxes, how liberal leftists who believe in LGBTQ and all the other types of rights under sexual liberty and liberation ethics or the feminist movement can march on behalf of organizations and states and entities that would slit their throats in a minute were they to argue for them in their precincts, uh, how they could do that, you have to find me a better explanation than what I and Brian Kennedy are giving you. You have to, in other words, find me some other reason why they would be supporting that which doesn't support them if the greater good here and the greater ideal here weren't the Marxist ideal and the subversion, if not the subjugation of the West. I'm Seth Liebson. Sam Stone coming up. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com. <laughs> 